Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. How's it going this week, Noel? Well, Kate, I keep dying mm. all the time. And then I come back, I pull myself out of the river sticks, and I do it all again. Okay. Yeah. Um, listeners, I'm playing Hades a lot, which is <laughs> a terrific video game that came out like six months ago. I'm finally getting to it because I got a Switch like two months ago. Um, it's great. It's really, really good. And um, yeah, I'm playing it too much. <laughs> I've been seeing some tweets. That's, that's why I was able to follow that. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I yeah. think this is about the th- the game thing. Yes. Yeah. Do you know anything about Hades, Kate? No, I know nothing about Hades. So you play as Hades' son, um, and he's trying to get to the surface. And you run through Hades itself, um, the underworld, um, to try to get to the surface. And there's like three levels. And then you get to the surface and you fight Hades himself. And if you die, you just go right back to the beginning. You lose a bunch of stuff, but you still have a bunch of like other things to kind of help you level up and power ups and that kind of thing. And the story gets told as you keep dying over and over and over again. And I just thought about just how the repetition of it was really great from like a living in a pandemic kind of deal. Um, but it's also been just really fun to play because I'm a sucker for mythology and I'm a sucker for really good integration of gameplay and narrative. Um, so that's what I've really been spending too much time doing this week, but I still carved out plenty of time to watch TV this week, um, which is good. I watched a lot of TV this week. There's a Um, lot to watch. Yeah. How are you doing this week? I'm good. I'm very excited about some of our TV news. So I'm Uh going to transition right into that because I was... I was legitimately tickled when I saw our first bit of, of news, which was because I wasn't anticipating it. Flora's Lava has been renewed for season two. I'm not used to Netflix renewing like their silly reality shows like a year after the first season airs. Yeah. So I just figured like we had seen the end of Flora's Lava with like the, it was like season one, part two or something. Right. Was the last thing. Yeah, I think so. So, so yeah, so I'm I'm genuinely excited for a new season of Floor is Lava. And I'm most excited for LeVar Burton guest hosting Jeopardy. I'm, I might have to actually tune in and watch it. But that is now happening. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, uh, all the people who reached, you know, did the, the the petition that he started up. And, like, we're like, wait, we just assumed you turned it down. Because why wouldn't LeVar Burton be one of the very first people you think of? In what stupid, crazy, ridiculous world, which is... The answer is our world. Do you have yes. Dr. Oz on, but not LeVar Burton? So the Dr. Oz thing, I think, is entirely because Jeopardy is produced by Sony Television, which also produces Dr. Oz's television show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have to assume that that is the reason, is that Sony just went to the producers of Jeopardy and went, you're doing this. Yeah. Because um, otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. It's very stupid. Have you been watching any of the other guest hosts on No, Jeopardy? I have not. Have you? I have seen, I've watched a couple of clips on a couple of episodes with Ken Jennings. He's fine-ish. He's really good at like the hosting stuff in terms of like the questions. He's not great at transitioning and sagging and he's horrible 
at the conversational stuff. But I tell you what, Kate, Aaron fucking Rodgers, really good. <laughs> like, really, really good at hosting Jeopardy. It's kind of ridiculous how good it is. And um, I'd encourage you and listeners as well to seek out. He's done a couple of interviews with a couple of different outlets where he talks about the sheer amount of prep that he did Mm -hmm. before going on to host, including like watching a lot of Jeopardy beforehand, but also watching it on mute so that he could study Trebek's like movements and body language and how he responded to things. That's smart. Um. And it's very hardcore because he's being very open about the fact that he wants this job. (laughs) Uh, um, He's just like, they shoot for 47 days out of the year. They do everything for the year in across those 47 days. I have like 150 days in which I am not playing football. Mm -hmm. I can do this. Uh, So he's openly campaigning, but he's very, very good at it, I think. And he's really good with contestants and he's really good at running the flow of the game. So... I'm I'm looking forward to what some of the other guests that's Burton I'm really excited about um, of the new crop. Um, George Stephanopoulos is also one of the new guests, so I'm just like, uh, but yes, I'm very excited about LeVar Burton doing a guest host stint because uh, he is also, I think, going to be pretty good. Yeah. I mean, based on other things I've seen him do, he's he should crush it. Right. It'll be disappointing if he's only okay. Yeah, right? That's, there's too much pressure. There is a lot of pressure for him, but I'm not worried about it because this is his skill set. Um, so, I, yeah, he's, you know, he's always very, he's an excellent host. He's got so much experience hosting. He's good interpersonally. He's good in interviews. He's got, like, the calm, supportive demeanor thing reassuring presence thing down so like you know and he's got and he's got a sense of humor but you also know he can verbally cut you oh yeah <laughs> should he want should he so desire absolutely yeah so he's yeah. got a good sense of humor about it and also let us not forget he um like he hasn't he been on jeopardy and done really well celebrity jeopardy or am i thinking of one of the other game shows I don't know if he's been on Celebrity Jeopardy. I actually made this joke with um, either my partner or a friend of the show, Corey Barker, um, because one of the people who, one of the other celebrities I thought this should guest host was Andy Richter, mm-hmm. who is the winningest Celebrity Jeopardy contestant of all time. Yeah, he would be great as well. Yeah, he'd be very goofy, but I think he'd be good at it too. Overall, he would just bring a very different vibe to the show. Yeah, um, he... Yeah, he won the he, LeVar Burton won nineteen ninety five Celebrity Jeopardy. He won fourteen thousand five hundred dollars for the Somalia Foundation. Oh, that's pretty good. I think Andy Richter won like sixty eight thousand. Yeah, <laughs> the what I was thinking of though was when they did a Star Trek version of The Weakest Link. Oh um, yeah, he did do really good on that. Yeah, that was it. Came down to him and Robert Ricardo were the final two, and mm-hmm. they were they won one hundred sixty seven thousand five hundred dollars. <laughs> they crushed it and i even remember the last question was antebellum (laughs) was the before the war um okay yeah i don't know why that has stuck in my memory but i but yeah because i was like i I don't not like i was i'm the biggest weakest link fan or anything but i enjoy those performers and when i when it got down to those two i was like yeah that's right (laughs) that tracks Uh, so yeah um anyways that's what i was thinking of but no he has also been on celebrity jeopardy and and won um so so yeah we'll see what happens with it um certainly 
I'm surprised about Aaron Rodgers, but I'm not surprised that if he just, if he, this is something he wanted that he would like, of course he's going to watch the tapes, right? He's going to do his research. Like he's going to approach it the way that you have to, to perform at the level that he does in athletics. So yeah. it's not surprising, but I, yeah, I'll check that out. Um, this week at the end of the show, we're talking about Allie McBeal, which ran for five, four five years, seasons. five seasons um, on Fox in the nineties uh, to late nineties and early aughts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a show that you had seen when it aired and watched yes. several, you know, quite a bit to, to, to re-familiarize. I had never seen it to my knowledge. I'm sure I like, I didn't, you know, the dancing baby, like there, I knew certain memes and well, before we called them memes, you know, uh, from the show, but I hadn't really seen it very much. So it was interesting and that'll be coming at the end of the show. To talk about that. Um, but before then we got to listen to some sync. There are two different sync moments this week in my viewing, and this one is from Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, so let's listen to a little Tearing Up My Heart, and we'll be right back with our Week in TV. Baby, I don't understand Just why we can't be lovers Things are getting out of hand Trying too much, but baby Again, that was Tearing Up My Heart, uh, performed by the cast of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Um, This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Zoe's Extraordinary Girls' Night. Then I'll just talk briefly about the uh, RuPaul's Drag Race Reunited, or RPDR Reunited, uh, episode of um, Drag Race, which is their reunion episode, air quotes, more on that in, the mo- in a moment. Then Noel will talk about Infinity Train Season 4 Duet, which was their prequel season, um, which dropped this week on HBO Max. We'll both talk about The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Truth. Um, then Black Lightning had The Brook of Ruin, Chapter 3, Things Fall Apart. And we're going to round things out with Queen Sugar with their season finale onward. I'm sure we'll also have some thoughts about the previous episode as well. But first up is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, Zoe's Extraordinary Girls' Night. And we had our sync moment. We had, uh, like... Is this Chekhov's boozy baby, like, like breast milk, right? Is that because they they showed us so distinctly, like them putting instead of pump and dump that they put the pumped breast milk into the bag, and I kept waiting for it to get pulled back, like, and then it didn't happen. So maybe that was just. Let me know if I'm crazy about that. Um, so but that was, you know, we had the sequence, of course, with Emily, and then we got some more stuff with, you know, all of our different couples. Headed for our big, you know, when, whenever we have our finale, we've got to build up Rosanna uh, and uh, Rose and, and and Max. So that way we can have some drama at the end of the season, of course. But um, what, what what did you think of this episode and where we find everybody? I'm, I'm worried. I'm worried about our casino ending. That can't be good, right? Yeah, I'm not crazy. I'm very worried about the casino ending in part because it just kind of feels like the show really clearly doesn't know what to do. With Mary Steenburgen's character. Yeah. Um, they were just like, we did this garden landscaping thing, but it didn't really 
didn't really go anywhere and we need another actor. We needed at least two other actors for her to work with, but it's really difficult to do that. Um, so we're going to do the casino and maybe set up like a gambling addiction. And I'm like, I don't, I don't like this. Do we have to give everybody more pain? Yeah. And that's the thing is just like, it feels like another like pain pressure point that I'm not super interested in the show piling on basically. Um, because I feel like you've got enough really rich material to go through, mm-hmm. especially within like a lot of the stuff that they do in this episode alone, that I don't know that you needed that one other bit. Yeah. Um, I know that you have Mary Steen version, so you want to give her things to do because that is the correct impulse. But I think that I'm just not excited about it. And it makes me a little antsy. Uh, she's going to hide in. We're going to do a whole thing about it. And... I do feel like we're already doing that variation with the postpartum story with Emily. On the flip side, though, and I want to get your feelings about this as well, because you brought this up last week, was I really liked how they played how people responded to her postpartum in this Mm -hmm. episode. Um, Because I think that it's handled in a really kind of matter of fact way, which I really appreciated. Um, there's not a great deal of your, your, that there's something wrong air quotes with Emily because she's feeling this way. And instead it's a, let's figure it out. And a little more proactive than I think postpartum tends to get demonstrated as, um, on television. So I liked how they handled that, but I was really, I was thinking about you the entire time I was watching that storyline and how you were feeling about it. So how are you feeling about the casino and how did you feel about how they handled the postpartum aspect with Emily? Well, here's how I feel about the casino storyline, which is if there's a storyline that involves Bernadette Peters on any show, but on a musical specifically, and I and my impulse after watching is saying, yeah, you can cut everything with Bernadette Peters. You've messed up. You 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 are not you have not done justice to the great Bernadette Peters or to the storyline. And in this case, you also have not done justice to the great Mary Steenburgen. Now, granted, um, it is fun to watch them make up their personas and have it be like more successful at one table, and then like everyone's like, Ugh. at the second table, that was hilarious. But uh, or that was, that was that was entertaining. It was amusing. It wasn't hilarious. It was amusing. Um, but yeah, that felt very arbitrary, and uh, I'm not excited about where it's going because we're doing so much other trauma at the same time, and because we're headed towards, like, I don't trust that we aren't headed towards heartbreak trauma with our sensual couples um, as well. Like, the only one I'm not worried about right now is Mo, <laughs> um, and that's because I don't trust them to not feel like they have to do the love triangle thing again which means breaking up Max and Rosanna, breaking up Simon and Zoe, or like just causing rifts there. Um, So if you, you know, with that looming on the horizon, the postpartum storyline that we get with Emily and the, you know, the Zoe realizing she needs some help um, and going to a therapist, which was, I thought, wonderful. Like, yeah. And like, there's enough trauma related stuff going on. I mean, we're also going to get stuff, with David around, uh, you know, how can I help my wife as she's dealing with postpartum depression and, you know, like, th- like he, he, that's going to really impact him as well. And he'll have trauma related stuff or like depression and, and pain and angst related things he's dealing with that character is wrapped into as well. And not to mention it's enough pain <laughs> 
to be dealing with my husband is dead. Um, yes. Like, that's enough. We don't need more. And so I don't like the idea of being like, you know, what's a, what's a good storyline we can do? Inflict pain. Because um, there are, again, it's just the, 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 the assumption that happy people can't, aren't interesting or don't have things that are worth exploring and playing. And that is just not true. Um, so if they weren't doing so many other storylines, either look, that look like they're headed towards pain, um, then I would be more interested or more engaged. But I don't buy it. I don't believe they are. Um, and uh, and so, so because of that, I'm weary at best. Um, yeah. But I did like how they handled the postpartum stuff here. I liked... I like the idea that actually, like, yes, this is a storyline for Emily, and yes, this is a storyline for that corner of the show, but also this is a storyline to push Zoe to realize she needs help, and that just taking on other people's pain and trying to solve their problems the way that she has been over the run of the show has an impact on her, and especially if she, like, she's already talked about recently feeling like a burden to her friends, and that she's always going to them with her problems when, you know, and her stressors in her life around this stuff. And she's tired of burdening them realizing, Oh, and and I'm not ready to tell Simon about this. Um, realizing, Oh, I should go see a therapist that will be helpful. Um, is a terrific choice, a, a surprising choice, but a really lovely one. So I was very pleasantly surprised to see, Oh, this is where we're going with this. It's not just the postpartum stuff, which was handled very well. I thought, um, it's also this. Um, so, yeah. And I also like that there's so many good contrary or theoretically conflicting points of view that we get, even just with Zoe and Simon, around how to help Emily. And, like, you mm-hmm. got to let her come to you. It's like, yeah, but I also need to, like, she needs a push. Um, I And the whole thing is that I haven't been present, so it's important that I be present. Um, and that kind of, you know, thing. Um I thought that that was handled very well, and I liked that they had they didn't stretch out her talking to to David because I was anticipating this being a much longer arc before you know it, and and like you know I was anticipating like the tearful you know that they in, instead this is much more matter of fact this is you know I like that they don't have to wait until something bad happens that's why I was so anxious about like the booze laden breast milk be like oh she they're gonna forget and accidentally give the booze boozy breast milk to the baby the baby's gonna get sick and that's what's gonna be like i like that they didn't get have it get to that point um which i think speaks to a greater awareness of postpartum depression in general that you know a tv show now and characters their age now versus like 10 years ago 20 years ago um would be aware of and engaging with, you know, I think that's an easier conversation to have for people of this generation than maybe earlier ones. So I, I, I in general, I thought that they handled all that, that well, and I'm, I'm interested in where it's going to go. Yeah. The, the trend, the way that they weave in the decision to go to therapy, I think is really, really effective. And I think that it's a good pivot point for Zoe as well. Um, because it allows her to start talking about it, but it also introduces a complication of everyone who she's told believes her because of that she's able to prove it, basically, in how she's aware of how they're feeling through the song. And I'm really curious to see how 
a medical professional is going to respond to this kind of a concept, um, even though she'll be able to do it depending on. And so I'm really curious to see how that's going to play out. Um, but it ge- it introduces another character who knows, which is exciting. Uh, so I'm looking forward to these um, these little pivots uh, that the show's setting up, apart from the gambling addiction, because it. Yeah. Um, thoughts on the long distance, this <laughs> totally not doomed relationship that we get teased here. Completely and utterly doomed. They have a double date next this uh, for next terrible week's episode. Idea. But yeah, no, awful idea. I don't know why anyone agreed to that. That's just a terrible idea. But I, am, I imagine that this double date will put the kibosh on a long distance <laughs> relationship. Yeah, we'll see. More on that next week. Um, well, our next show is Drag Race, which had its reunion episode. Except that Noel it wasn't a reunion episode. Noel didn't watch this one, and good call. I did not. Um, because, so, it was frustrating for me, because I thought they actually did a really good job with the reunion episode last season, in season 12, mm-hmm. which they had to, like, kind of jerry-rig over Zoom, right? They sent everybody cameras, they sent them. But they what they did there was they actually did a reunion where they had, like, all the queens on the same call at once and it is actually quite an impressive feat of you know from what for when they shot it and everything it was early not early pandemic but early days of people filming stuff during the pandemic because it was like in i want to say it was like in may um i could be it was a few months into the lockdown basically um and so they actually had the queens in, in, like interacting with each other talking to each other asking questions rue engaging with them now granted rue's face keenly was terrible but yes. um it was still like they they did this whole like slumber party thing. I don't know if people remember, but it was very it was very it was fun. Good. Yeah, this one instead it's really polished because they basically have camera crews or like very good lighting and, and camera setups for everyone. They recorded at, in their homes or at local bars and, and venues and stuff, um, and so the, everything looks super polished, but everybody's just monologuing. <laughs> so. They, uh, they, like, Rue was like, now let's talk to this person. They're like, hi, Rue. Here's how I felt about the season. Like, you're not actually talking to Rue. No. <laughs> and so then they would monologue about their thoughts about the season. There'd be a clip package, uh, like a, like a, uh, just a, just a bunch of different, you know, best of sort of from their, their version of, like, their part of the season. And then they would then throw to a music video or that that each queen had made. And it was cool to see, okay. especially this cast, which is very a very talented performance cast. There's a lot of good lip syncers. Some of the best lip syncers they've had in the show's run, in my opinion, uh, or in this season. So, like, it's great that they each were given... I assume they were given a budget uh, to film mm-hmm. their own short music videos. And the reason I mentioned sync earlier, uh, we had... Uh, 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 Joey J didn't think, um, but um, the uh, we also had uh, Kimora did uh, did a lip sync. Then we had uh, Tamisha and Lala did original videos for their videos for their music, which was terrific. I recommend seeking them out. Lala crushed it. Tamisha crushed it. Um, and so there was a combination of lip syncs to pre-existing songs that must have been expensive to get the rights to and original music. Um, and so that was a neat thing to do. But then what that meant is that then they didn't have really any time to interact. They, they had two or three queens at a time asking each other fan questions. So like, 
so-and-so from this place wants to know, duh. And then the person would, they would, and so be, that was the level of interaction. There's two or three queens talking to each other for just a few, maybe a minute or two. Um, and then it would go to the next set of queens, right? So you do the queen A's stuff, video, queen B's stuff, video, talk briefly, go to the next thing. They peppered it with a few um, back and forths with the top four. They did the Vogue 73 questions, but it was 69 questions. Um, and they did like, you know, all, all black and white as they're going backstage and arriving at the venue for the finale. Um, and that, that was fun. That worked. Uh, they showed the, why should you be America's next drag superstar thing that they asked when they're filming the previous episode, they held it for here. Um, and given that the previous episode was basically like a reunion episode, but for the top four, I thought it really worked that they were barely in the reunion. Let the other queen shine. I think that works. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's not a reunion. The whole point of a reunion is that they, you know, like, you actually have Candy and Tamisha talking to each other. They don't have to be in the same room, but talking to each other. So you can ask about stuff. You actually have, like, interaction and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, what was the real tea on this kind of a thing? Um, so is yeah. Olivia really a diva? You know, like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And there was none of that in any meaningful way. And so it was, it was you know... It was disappointing. I think they made a better reunion at the beginning of COVID than where we're at currently, even though it looks much better. Like the like visually, aesthetically, like shooting, all of that, it looks really, really polished. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's a clip show more than a reunion. Uh, yeah. That doesn't, I don't like that. that I'm glad I skipped it. But, but yeah, but seek out Arrogant. Okay. You're arrogant, which is the Tamisha thing. Because it's just, I mean, it's the stuff from I that am. Untucked. Um, okay. With this, it's, it's various clips from her time, but focused, of course, on the, the fight with Tamisha, like that audio, um, into a dancing, voguing kind of, um, very much mother is serving, right? Kind of mm-hmm. energy. Mm-hmm. So that was super fun. And um, and really, they like Denali ice skated to Blackpink. Um, um, so she did a, a lip skate, is what she calls it, um, and oh, there's some that's other ones. A neat idea. Yeah. So it was, it was like it was good. It was fun. It was entertaining, but it's not really a reunion. I'm ready for the finale. Let's get to the finale. Um, by the time you all hear this, hopefully we all know what happened. But I'm excited to see what's going to happen. Um, let's move on to Infinity Train. I did not catch up with this one. I'm looking forward to it. What did you think of season four duet? So season four duet, as you mentioned, is a prequel season that takes place um, quite a few decades before like season one. Um, At this point, Amelia is still trying to take control of the train and like Mm -hmm. solidify things. Uh, So we actually don't get a lot of stuff about the train in this season, uh, which I think is a good choice. Um, Though as the season kind of went on, I was like, I'm surprised we're not getting anything about the train. But then I stopped caring because I think that the central duo in this um, in this season is strong enough and compelling enough to carry the entire season uh, without any lots of heavy shenan- mythos shenanigans. Because it is a very, very straightforward season. And it is a season that I really appreciate in that it is really character focused in a way that the other seasons haven't been really if you want to like think about it in a way of there's always been some bigger weirder force chasing everyone around to a certain degree uh whether it's been the chrome cops 
or just the weirdness of the conductor in season one and the chrome cops in season two. And then just the sheer intensity of anger and everything that toxicity that mines season three is a much more internal threat. And with duet, everything's much quieter. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that our central duo, Mingi and Ryan, um, or have been separated for like a year and they suddenly like find themselves thrown together after Ryan comes back from a failed attempt to make it big as a musician in Canada. They're both from British. They're both from somewhere in uh, British Columbia and they end up getting tossed on the train after they board an actual commuter train. (laughs) (laughs) And so their relationship is about figuring out why they separated basically. And that's their journey on the train, is figuring out how they've changed, but also figuring out why they didn't go on tour together, basically. And what their relationship, what's it, what their personalities and their relationships amounted to that. And while there are weird, crazy things circulating around them as a result of their companion, who is uh, voiced by Minty Lewis as Kez, who's a, door, is a service bell, um... It's just deeply, deeply focused on figuring out these two, um, like, late teens guys and how they've grown and shifted or how they haven't grown in a lot of ways. So it's a very straightforward season. It's significantly less emotionally complicated and than season three is because season three's got these big ideas that it's trying to grapple with and as you and I discussed, doesn't really have the space to do that as well as it should. And this season's much more streamlined. And I think it's definitely its least ambitious season, but as a likely end of the show, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, it's still a pretty solid swan song as it, as it was. And the, there's a killer original song right at the end. That's got a great hook. Um, really good chorus um, that they play out of and it feels like a good kind of celebration of the show as a whole so I enjoyed this season it's probably like their it's probably not their best season air quotes even compared to like season 3 because I give season 3 a lot of points for ambition but it's really well executed and it was just really nice to get it even though I thought we weren't getting any more after season three. Um, but so this was a nice treat and I was really glad we got it. And I was also really glad that HBO Max just dropped all of it at once as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of doling it out um, across like two weeks, which I think is what they did with season three. So it's good. It's definitely worth checking out if you're a fan of Infinity Train already and you should be because it's great. Um, and my partner and I are already looking forward to like sometime this summer rewatching the entire run of the show Mm -hmm. (laughs) um to like really soak it all in again um so yeah so that was season four of infinity train oh well i'm intrigued and i I look forward to catching up with that yeah definitely um our next show is the falcon and the winter soldier truth um their penultimate episode um and it's like they listen to the podcast no it's not like that but they a bunch of the stuff that i'm actually interested in in the show is back for this episode. And it's like, 
yes, it's a much better episode, but also it's like, can't, sh- sh- should have been this. Why wasn't this just the whole show? This is the show. Um, and I granted, you know, what we think and what I, or what I think, I almost speak for you, um, the show was for WandaVision. It's not the show that they wanted to make. So like, like the, I get the sense that the, I mean, and who knows, this is me reading into it, but I get the sense of the showrunners are like, that's the show we want to make, but it's not the show we can make unless we end, like gift wrap it in this other stuff, right? Um, and so it's a similar thing here where this is the version of the show that I'm much more engaged with and interested in. And it it makes the other stuff all the more frustrating. Um, but hey, Lumbly's back, so that's great. And mm-hmm. there was some some really good, you know, material here. Uh and again, I feel like we, we've already, we've been talking about this with Friend of the Show, Alice Shoemaker, but like, again, the, like Wyatt Russell is doing so much with that character that uh, a lesser actor would not be able to sell because um, they do not always give him the best material and he is selling the crap out of it. Uh, what did you think of of Truth? Yeah, so I agree with you that it... Not only is this probably like their best episode, um, but it's really telling that this is their best episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, because it's an episode wholly separated from like all the action plot that we've been doing since episode two. So for the past three episodes. And everyone feels more dialed in. Like Mackie and Stan both feel much more dialed in than they have over the past three episodes, which I think is also just a real clear indication of what everyone's priorities are to a certain degree of Mm -hmm. what they were excited to do for this. Um, But I also think that one of the other things is that the fact that Carly isn't present and that the, the flag, the flag smashers aren't around as much helps to get away from the fact that the flag smashers, apart from their tenacity, their not tenacity, their, um, their preference for murder and destruction have a reasonable cause around. Um, and just going about it in the worst possible way, as brought on by the super super soldier serum, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think that when you take that away and you just kind of focus on those systemic things that, like you were saying, the show seems like it wants to be engaged with, but because of the marvel of it all, it can't be engaged with, that it just makes for a more compelling episode of TV. And so, yeah, I like this episode. It doesn't, like, it doesn't make the show better. But as, like, a single hour of TV, it's pretty solid. Um, and I, I'm i with you with Wyatt Russell because a lot of that stuff shouldn't work, I feel like. Um, but it does. And I'm good with that. And I want Wyatt Russell to get that Marvel money. Um, and speaking of coming in and getting Marvel paychecks, <laughs> JLD, we gotta talk about we gotta we gotta talk about JLD, man. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, um, it, it, I heard I heard people talking. I don't know if this is actually happening. Something about how they're anticipating her having scenes with Samuel Jackson um, in one of the ones coming up because of the who the characters are. Probably. Uh, yeah. And that's going to be great. That's going to be amazing. Oh my god, it's going to be really good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, like it's so it's so interesting, just metatextually, as someone who reviewed Veep, right? Like, right. I bet. So like to see her come in in this role, um, 
It's very interesting. Uh, but she, of course, she can do this kind of thing in her sleep. She's amazing. Yes. But um, that was, she's like, it's not who you think. Who's going to pop up in this Marvel is Julie Louis-Dreyfus, right? Um, yeah. So that, that was really fun. And uh, I assume we'll be seeing more of her um, either in the finale or in the next property, right, that, that yeah. uses these characters. Yeah, I don't think, she, I think it's kind of unlikely she'll pop up in the finale. Um, rumors are really heavy that she's in the Black Widow movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where she was supposed to make her appearance. That's where um, Vanity Fair reported that she was supposed to show up first in Black Widow. Then that just keeps getting delayed, yeah. Yeah, and then that kept getting delayed. And Feek has mentioned something that was like really minor that gets like got lost in the shuffle. And, and people think it's this. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think makes a lot of sense, um, given the character and given the fact that she just seems to be probably forming her own Dark Avengers or, Dark Avengers or something, which I'm all here. If that's what they hired Julia Louis-Dreyfus to do was to be evil Nick Fury, I'm here <laughs> for that. Because yeah. that is a fantastic idea. <laughs> yeah. that So that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, the you know, what you were saying about the actors being more keyed in, like, yeah, Sam and Bucky on a boat. That's um, like flirting with Sam's sister, right? Like that's... Oh, that was gold. It was pure gold. Don't flirt with my sister. <laughs> Too late. He's Bucky. Come on. What do you what do you think is gonna happen? Um, yeah, I just th- this is the more interesting show. Um, so the other stuff is happening, and you know that's fine. Um, you say the flag smashers their um, their like agenda is you know in general if they weren't killing all these people, not a bad one. But I don't. I'm still not clear what their agenda actually is. Um, yeah, because they don't think they, they like. There's just been some rambling about how things were better before everybody came back kind of a thing which i don't think is something i think that you gotta really when you have 50 percent of the population blinked out of existence i think you gotta really try to find people who are not impacted negatively by that right Um, exactly and so i think the the only, and maybe I've missed stuff. It's very possible I've just missed stuff. But my sense of it was that they just were like everybody came back and it was better before they came back and so we're angry about people coming back, sort of. And I don't know if that's what their actual thing is, but Well, there's issues of displacement, there's issues of resources availability and like the show very conspicuously avoids like explaining larger geopolitical type of things that I think is a detail that is necessary, but it just kind of goes, everyone kind of united and like, not united, but kind of everything kind of shifted in really important ways. And then as soon as everyone came back, it just kind of reset back to where it was, which I don't know that I completely buy. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) um, I do think that there's just enough elements of that you can extrapolate into other things like a a displacement kind of narrative Mm -hmm. um, to actual events that I think kind of enhances it, but a it's murky on the details and B they're just, they just like to kill people. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's just, the show hasn't been willing to, to, to be, and, and it's not just this show. The the MCU does not want to get into any of that specifics because it's too complicated and it's too 
thorny. And they would make for actually a fascinating show that they're not going to be interested in making um, to really examine that stuff. Like, you know, yeah. The Leftovers is what, like 3% of the population? So 50% of the population. I mean, come on. Um, but th- that's the trouble that I th- I'm having with that stuff is like, I, I agree with you. Except I can't agree with you because I can't give them enough credit <laughs> to right. say And that's that. super fair. Because <laughs> they haven't handled it well enough. Um, any final thoughts on Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I mean, I'm just glad that Zemo's going to the raft because that means he's going to be able to get out of that place no problem. Yeah. I was. I figured he'd end up in some sort of Wakandan prison where he would never escape. Yeah. Um. But no, he's just going to the raft. He's yeah. definitely getting out. <laughs> oh, can we take just a moment to talk about the, uh, yeah, I'm just going to say racism of people being pissed off that the Dora Milaje, uh, like, they, like saying that they built in a, a, a fail safe to, to Bucky's arm or whatever. It's like, they built the arm. They know how to turn it off. Why is that surprising? That's not surprising. It's not like they betrayed him. I was like, no, they gave him a gun. They know where the safety is. Like, yeah. why wouldn't they? <laughs> but there was a lot no. of people talking on Twitter about, like, the, the, those sneaky Wakandans and, like, not telling him about this, like, like that they had, like, built in a thing so they could disable his arm at any time. And, like, it's a pressure point thing. No. Yeah, no, I'm totally, I was totally okay with it. I just went, oh, that's cool. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that it makes, makes a lot of sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So. Ugh, anyways, so yeah. Let's move on to Black Lightning. The Book of Ruin, Chapter 3, Things Fall Apart. Um, so, forward progress for me in the season. Mm-hmm. But I have trouble with the, a majority of the kids at, at Garfield buying or even just the citizenry buying that Jefferson this narrative about Jefferson overnight. It would need yeah, to no, be it's built nonsense. to and like this is a community that like is marginalized and set up by cops all the time. It's been like that's just the established narrative on the show. Like that's like the dynamic. So why would they go with this? It's because the plot needs it and it's sloppy yes. and it's disappointing. Um I also think the oh, I'm so grateful to Tobias because I wasn't even gonna vote for him, but he held his like as opposed to this person who uh, gave me a home, <laughs> you know. Like I, there was uh, some stretching needed with this episode so that they can set up Tobias in the way they want to, and it's it's a little frustrating for me. What what did you think? No, I agree. It was completely frustrated. Um, I was completely frustrated, I should say, and I just I didn't buy it. Like I just didn't. Like, it it didn't even try particularly hard to sell me on any of it. But at the same time, it was just like, this is what we're doing, so we need you to buy in. And I'm just like, nope, not buying in. I, did you did you stretch yourselves too thin with the Jennifer, with the Jennifer yeah. stuff? Um, because you did a better job with that, with a bunch of science fantasy nonsense, mm-hmm. um, than you did with embezzling and the community turns against one of its mainstays and all this kind of stuff and it's just like no no this doesn't make any sense but okay show so that's kind of where i ended up with it um i think the rest of the episode's pretty good overall however uh i really enjoyed the ishmael fight with um grace and oh gosh anissa 
Um, even if I couldn't see half of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was a little too dark. Um, but it was good. And I, I did appreciate watching Ishmael get his butt kicked, but also <laughs> I appreciated smoke bomb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, and just, I mean, I, I need a little more clarity on if people know that thunder's ability is breath related. Yes. Um, because we do, cause we can hear the audio for the TV show, right. but <laughs> there's no reason that they should necessarily know that. So when, when they say, well, you're going to have to breathe eventually, I, I, is that supposed mm-hmm. to just be because of the smoke? Or is that because, like, of her ability? Like, I, that was unclear to me. There was a quick line from Gamby indicating that he had clearly studied them. So maybe, like, he's... They're all over social media and news footage. So. That's true. Yeah, there would be plenty so, of tape. So you could... And yeah, she does there is a lot of tape. Every time. Yeah. So, yeah. That's not surprising. Yeah. Fair so, enough. Fair enough. That's I like fair. The- it's... It's a hand wave, but <laughs> I liked that the way that they figured out the nullifying power. Um, I, I thought they did that just the right number of times because yes. that was for like comedic but not overly comedic purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm enjoying like <laughs> I have to remember that. Oh, that's right. Khalil's supposed to be like 18. <laughs> it's so it's ridiculous. Not- I know, right? It's like Tom Welling old. Yeah. Well, because like Jennifer being in high school still is ridiculous. And then he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because they're high school sweethearts. And he wasn't like way older than her. So he's like maybe a year older, maybe two. So that means he's supposed to be like 18 or 19 running this bar. (laughs) Like, uh, sure, sure show. Sure. Um, That was fun, though. Um, And... I liked the the uh, amount of attention to Lynn's addiction that we get here. I like uh, I'm getting to enjoy the Gamby stuff though. They're pushing that quite a bit, so that like that's gonna fall hard when it falls. So yes, um, we'll see what happens with it because I I feel like they've been doing the same thing too much with that, and we need to see so something much. new. Yeah, no, I really need something new from that because it's just the same thing in the same set over and over and over again. Yeah. Uh, and I just, I, I want something different. Um, I do like that Gamby's powers nullification as the support guy who helps to enhance people's powers through his mm-hmm. technology. Being a power nullifier, I think, is a really kind of clever twist on that. Um, but I'm sure it'll come into play and be very important mm-hmm. later. Yeah. Let's move on to our last uh, episode of the week, though, and that's the Queen Sugar finale onward. Listeners, I got a text from Noel uh, <laughs> before this air. He was when he saw the end of the the previous episode. He's like, "Oh man, oh man, that ending!" I was like, "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> so, what did you think about the previous episode and where we find ourselves at the end of season five of Queen Sugar? Yeah, so I really liked the previous episode, and I liked how the previous episode ended with a series of very serious conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, but I just kind of want to dig into, like, the finale, because I think the finale is really very good. Um, and I really like the ways that this episode uses its characters' histories to draw concerns about the future in really compelling and interesting ways that are wholly separate really from 
the pandemic in a lot of ways, which I really am fascinated by as a dramatic choice that it very much feels like this was always going to be the end point, And then they just kind of shuffled things in the middle a little bit, but still managed to get to this point because I just loved this idea of Ralph Angel and Vi being like at odds over this decision of what to do with blue Nova also being in that camp, but in a more supportive way. But Micah bringing up that point of I had options because I had options Mm -hmm. and I only had options because of what my parents did for me. So all this sort of stuff and just this idea of always wanting better that drives off angel really hard. Um, it's just really, really compelling. And then you layer in everything with Charlie and Davis, which, holy heck, I had never really expected to like Davis in any scene. <laughs> but that's just really well written. And it's also just really well acted. Um, despite the fact that they're constantly six feet apart in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think all of that is just makes for a really really pointed and really powerful episode that then ends with Calvin being like, I'm going to turn myself in. And the degrees to which your past catches up to you and what are you going to do now? Who are you now? And who do you want to be? And I really like that those are the motivating questions in this finale. Um, How did you feel about all of it? (laughs) I guess Uh, since I just covered all all of it. it, Yeah. (laughs) I thought that if you're going to, if, if this is where you're gonna go with Charlie and Davis, you earn that about as well as you're gonna. Mm-hmm. But, and the performances are really good, um, and just the delivery of Molina Gludian. Um, but like, he got someone raped. Yeah, he got they, someone. They skate over that real hard, <laughs> and you don't get to walk back from that, and you don't get to. Like they, I like that they don't pretend it doesn't didn't happen, and I liked that they made that be not just about him but about Charlie, um, betraying herself and how she handled it, and that being something that is very shameful to her that she's very ashamed about. But then you like, then they just like mention it and then move right along, and I that's really troubling to me. Because it was so powerful and impactful when they did, they introduced and committed to that storyline. And mm-hmm. so that that's the that's the big old problem I have with that um, part, corner of everything. I really liked Micah being just being like, you've got COVID? What? You were sick? You called dad? I will be home. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, I, I'm. I'll, I'm coming home. Click. Right? Like, I, I, I thought the whole scene about him, you know, about talking about, um, you know, I get a taste of what it's like when someone you love does something that you really don't approve of, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> that was that was great. The little like the, the just the look between, um, uh, Charlie and Davis was great there. Like that whole it was it was lovely. It was really nice. Um, if you hadn't established that he got this woman raped as a significant part, like, this is a thing, like, you don't get to just pretend it didn't happen. Um, I really liked the way that they were contrasting and, and, and paralleling that dynamic and the, the Nova and um, Calvin dynamic, the, just the blocking 
was mm-hmm. so powerful when he puts his hand on her back. It's such a, like, as a viewer, it's such a violation. Um, it's so upsetting to see that because like he's trying to. It it feels like he's trying to 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 soothe her and gaslight her into acceptance, right? And like control her and that and 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 so then to have that as like the oh you you guys are gonna make me root for because you know they're not gonna have both of them end up yeah. together in this house. You're gonna make me root for Davis and Charlie just so that Nova and Calvin <laughs> break up. Yeah. Damn you. Damn you, showrunners and writers. Um, Damn you, Ava DuVernay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it was Anthony Sparks is the showrunner this, this season. But yeah, yeah, she was one of the, the three writers, right? Um, yes. Yeah. Like, yeah, she was she was heavily involved this Heavily involved. Yeah. She of the could COVID. not be because of everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was, I was just like, son of a... And I thought that that, and also for me is the implication, yes, he turned himself in, but also he's turning in the rest of the cops that were there too. Um, Hopefully, yes. Yeah, so we'll see. I assume that we'll get more on that in the next season. Um, but that was really validating, and uh, it was shocking to see her so paralyzed, as she said, and again, really, a, a really well-executed complicated set of, of of things and we you know we've been talking about how we didn't feel like the show had earned our trust any trust for him so we didn't yet and i think that they play that was that has been borne out to be very intentional and they play with both sides of that here in this episode mm-hmm. that's a good um, point and and so that way you know and they give they lean into the easy answer of of is he gonna allow her to diminish herself and to betray herself the way that Charlie did for Davis? Or is he going to make a different choice? And and he starts doing the first and reflects and instead goes to the latter. Um, yeah, it just, it's, uh, I, I thought that was really effective. Um, and I really, really loved, I mean, the stuff with, with Darla and, and Ralph, uh, Ralph Angel, uh, was just, was, was lovely. Um, I like that they teased the, the pregnancy news before they, the pregnancy news <laughs> with the, the, like, is this, uh, why we call this meeting? Cause Hollywood's a great name. <laughs> um, was delightful. Um, but, uh, I'm, you know, I'm gonna miss Blue. Hollywood I, is a great name. It is a great it name. Is. Yeah, I'm just saying, maybe name your kid Hollywood. <laughs> just imagine the same, but I'm just saying. But I'm not saying, but I'm saying. Um, yeah. But um, yeah, the uh, the 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 way that they tease that and then follow through on it here, I thought was really nice. Um, I like what the balance they try to strike because they don't have it. If they had like one more episode, I think we could have would have gotten a lot more with them struggling with him being gone. Um, and that did feel like it was missing. But because yes, they sure. don't have enough time for that yet, and they knew they wanted to end with the pregnancy reveal, I think that all things considered, they ended that, they handled that well. And I really love the very intentional choice to have this these different traumatic things happen in the season and to end on highlighting joy. 
into like you know especially on this this show which is so much about black culture and life and and to 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 end with like we never you know somebody who reviews tv you know we're trained to see they're like why are why is this scene in here right what 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 is this and so you see them on their bikes you see hollywood and by on their bikes and it's just no this scene is just there to watch them be joyful and to mm-hmm. watch them have a wonderful evening because there's goodness knows they've had plenty of pain they've had plenty of heartache blue, you know blue is gone and all these different you know and but it's important that we also see the good stuff um mm-hmm. uh so I, I thought it was just a very lovely finale and uh and prosper's okay <laughs> yeah yeah my only thing about that bicycle scene is Folks, why aren't you wearing some masks? Like, I don't understand why no one yeah. has masks on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think they're at where we're at now, scientifically, with, and they shouldn't be, right? Where they, nowadays, pretty much we're like, oh, if you're outside and, you know, you're far enough apart. And th- they were near each other, but they were kind of spaced from the others. You don't yeah. need masks, you know, theoretically. But, like, I love that they had helmets, though. So many yeah, shows no, don't, wouldn't good. have had the helmets. Oh, Yeah. But yes, yeah. there should be there should be more masks. Yes, there should have been masks by that point. I feel like I was wearing a, a mask when I left to go mm-hmm. places by June. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, I thought, and I yeah. felt like they were going out the other around the other side of it, like having okay, you know, but 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 which wouldn't match with their timeline either. But um, yeah, well, I mean, she's wearing like a fair bit of PPE when she's serving at the restaurant. So she should have been wearing masks. Anyway, it's a nitpick. Um, well, and I was like, you but, should not be playing dominoes. You are not six feet apart. But also, yeah. you know, the what you're trying to communicate is great. But, you know. But I can't complain too much because I get to see their faces like light up, which I wouldn't mm-hmm. get with the masks. So yeah. I'll take it. But I was just like, but no. <laughs> safe. Um, so... Yeah, no, everything you just said was really spot on. I don't have anything to add. So. It's a, we, we love Queen Sugar here at the Televerse. It's yeah, a fantastic show. And um, yeah, I'm, I look forward to the next season. Glad it's coming back for another season. Uh, well, what wins your week in TV? Um, the Queen Sugar finale, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Queen Sugar finale. But also the season in general was really, really good. And I really enjoyed it. So yeah, Queen Sugar for me this week. Um, but Mom had a really good episode. And last week tonight had a solid episode. But mainly I wanted to highlight it because I did not know I needed John Oliver doing the Julianne Moore monologue from Magnolia. <laughs> because I did. And it was fabulous. Uh, what about you? What won your week this week? Yeah, Queen Sugar, definitely. Yeah. Well, gonna we're gonna miss it. We're gonna miss having Queen Sugar to talk about every week. Um, now let's take a break and listen to a trailer and come back to talk about Allie McBeal. If their office seems like yours, it's not. And who would we be suing today? It's the Emmy Award-winning second season of Allie McBeal. Allie McMeat.
apologize, Your Honor. There must be gas in the room. I'm not sure you want to share that with people. Get Ellie McBeal on video while they're still legal. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Yes. Do I win? That was a trailer for Allie McBeal, which is, of course, a David E. Kelly legal show that ran a dramedy, I guess. Dramedy, but nominating comedy for four solid years. <laughs> it ran on uh, Fox uh, for, uh, yeah, for, for five years um, in the late 90s, early aughts. Uh, so this is, you know, the main show, a show that I know mainly as the Flockhart starring vehicle. Um, I I watched some of the practice, which is the other, you know, David e. Kelly legal show of this time, which is on ABC. Um, but I don't really remember watching any of Ally McBeal. I did. I don't think I had seen any of it. Um, and uh, no, I know this is one that you had seen all of. So, what was it like revisiting the show? Did it like was it as you remembered? Yeah, a lot of it was as I remembered. Um, um significant portions of it have not aged particularly well. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about that episode in particular, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, but it was also, it's mainly one of the reasons I wanted to revisit this is that this is a show that was everywhere. Like you couldn't turn around in the late nineties and not be talking about Ally McBeal. Um, and it was like the discourse really mm-hmm. of, what why is this show popular um so much so that like ally mcbeal's on the cover of time magazine as the death of feminism (laughs) and the big thing that going back and watching it now is that for me it's really compelling to watch a show grapple with knowingly or unknowingly third wave feminism and its limitations and the ways in which it works and doesn't work and while still refusing to basically be, well, what if you just did this instead of (laughs) ascribing to certain other types of paths forward of like being like, no, you need to have it all. You can have it all. And just those whole runs. So I think that it was just really compelling to go back and watch this show for that reason. But it was also really fascinating to go back and watch it now and go, oh, oh, Allie McBeal walked so Rebecca Bunch could run. <laughs> um, Interesting. And, See, I was going to make another analogy. Allie okay, McBeal walked I, so that the good wife could run. Also, also accurate. Also very, very accurate. Um, because I, I think that's super duper fair. And one of the other things that I was really was really kind of buzzing around my brain at the same time is like, this also came like right at the cusp of when like television was in a big transition point uh, as prestige cable, premium cable dramas were starting to infiltrate things a little bit. And it was just, it's really interesting to think about production shifts as well with this show in particular, because David E. Kelly wrote pretty much every single episode of Ally McBeal by himself. Um, or is accredited as the sole writer, I should specify, because mm-hmm. the degree to which there's a writer's room, I am unaware. Um, but this is a singular, like, writer show in a lot of ways that we accredit to, like, visionary showrunners. And it's like, yeah, but this guy was writing every single episode of this show for five years, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to watch it grapple with various things 
all from a singular perspective, really. And the sheer amount of unification for that. But watching it now, you're just like, wow, this is this is weirdly dated, but also why are we still having some of the conversations exactly the way people are having these conversations in like 2000 and it's 20 years later. (laughs) Um, And the last thing I'll say before we kind of start digging in is my mother should not have let me watch this show when I was in (laughs) late middle school, early high school, because no, it was not appropriate for me to be watching this. Um, but she also let me watch The Practice, which was all not appropriate, but in a very different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, but it was really great to watch it. And I'm really glad we watched it. And the only other thing I'll say is that David E. Kelly is the only person to win an Emmys for Outstanding Comedy Series and Outstanding Drama Series in the same year. Yeah. Because the practice won in 1999 for best drama the same year that they won for best comedy series. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so, so here's the thing. Uh, this is painfully not a Kate show. Yeah, I, I bet. Yeah, that's yeah, fair. <laughs> yeah, and I watched a handful of episodes from seasons one and two. I intended to get. Uh, a handful from three, four, and five as well, and then my internet went out today, so I could. I was like, and I'll get like you know, I'll get a bunch more in tomorrow, and then there was no internet, so then I couldn't. So then Hulu does not help you if you have no internet. Um, and so I watched a few from season four, and th- with the glaring, glaring issue of the Lisa Edelstein character, uh, which is a trans character played by a cis woman um, and constantly like the, the show, I guess you're supposed to get points for including trans characters, but when you're constantly defining them by their genitalia and having them be discriminated against by everyone on your show, I don't know that you really get points for that. Um, Yes. So with the glaring exception of that storyline, uh, see, the show works for me so much better in season four that it's kind of insane. Season four is their peak, really. Um, apart from that, I think season four is their best season. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason is they have Robert Downey Jr. there as the love interest. And they don't have the terrible uh, long lost love who's married now, but like, as, as, the um i guess friction and like entanglement point and mm-hmm. in, in the the various office dynamics and that is just such a i mean i have lots of other issues with the show which is why it's not yeah. for me and that's okay but the writing and the casting and the performance and the chemistry is just not there and if you're going to define your show as like Ellie McBeal is our plucky heroine, but she's still hung up on this guy. Yeah, him. I was texting yeah. <laughs> Noel the her gift from uh, Arrested Development uh, because Billy. And listeners, I thought she was talking about Georgia at first, played by Courtney Thorne Smith. Um, and she's like, no, I'm talking about Billy. <laughs> yeah, Georgia's fine. I don't have a problem with Georgia, other than why is she with Billy? Because, like, she shouldn't be. Why is anyone with Billy? (laughs) Yeah. Because, like, like, 
I get like some of the stuff that they're starting with. Like you can start from a point of there, but once you've been like you know your childhood sweetheart through like thought you were going to end up together, through, went went off to Harvard together to school, and then you haven't seen them in three years, and now they're suddenly married, right? Um, but you haven't seen them in three years, and they are married. So, and why is, like, why would you want someone who's pine who, who, like, might be pining after you while they're married to someone else? Like, what, what is appealing about that? And, and they, if they had insane chemistry, you could make it work, but they yeah. don't. Um, and so there's just like, oh God, it, it is very much an altruistic show and it is, so far with what I've seen, nowhere near as cringy to watch back as like when I think back on aspects of Buffy and just go, yes. oh, yeah, it's just dripping in Whedon. And when you realize you've got a big old problem with the Whedon of it all, that really makes it hard to watch. Like, it's not as as much of that, yeah. but I definitely was watching this being like, oh, yes, this is a female character. This is a woman who is not being written by women. Right. Who does not feel like an actual character. <laughs> an actual yeah. person. Well, and to be fair, none of these people feel like actual characters. Yes, that's true. <laughs> that's an excellent point. Um, yes. Like, none of them are actual characters. Across the board, none of them are actual characters. Um, and, but your point remains that Ali is the protagonist written by a middle-aged man at this point um who has been very successful and is a is at the peak of his success within broadcast television um and then will taper off after both of these shows basically um because david e kelly kind of faded away and then has come roaring back thanks to uh, big little lies um but all that being said you're not wrong about any of that um going back and watching it again I don't remember having a strong opinion about Billy one way or the other, but watching it now, I'm like, but I don't get it. Like, I don't get it. And a lot of what I don't get, and to certain other points about the show, particularly with the Lisa Edelstein um, story of Cindy as the trans character, um, that I I can't decide if the show is actively endorsing these perspectives or if it's doing a Seinfeld thing and being like, these are terrible people and they're wrong, but also let's laugh at them and laugh with them in some and cases enjoy them. as well yeah. and enjoy them. And the show walks that line so finely that I can't tell sometimes. Does that with fish a lot. Yeah, exactly. That you can't really tell where you're supposed to fall. And Fish is a really good point of that because Peter McNichol's great on this show. He's just really honed in, I think, on... No, no, that's the other one. That's that's Cage. No, no, Greg Greg Gurman, who's also very honed in on Fish. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, aggressively so. So much so that I think it probably cost him, like, his career. (laughs) (laughs) He's really good. The whole cast is really, really good. Yeah. But I think that Fish is, like, just this archetypal bigot um who you just are compelled by but at the same time you're you should be repelled by him and the show 
like for many of its characters, pulls you back and forth on that point fairly delicately, I would say, but at the same time, you're like, but why exactly? (laughs) And so you have to, you really have to balance a lot of the stuff where you get these really big, bombastic, offensive takes on social issues through Fish, but also through some other characters every now and then. And you, and the Cindy, the Cindy's storyline, which is spans three episodes at the beginning of season four and then pops back up again at the end of season four when Cindy is trying to get married in the state of state of Massachusetts and the state is basically like, no, you can't. Um, and she goes and ha- hires Fish specifically to represent her in court, which is a terrible idea on multiple levels. Um, <laughs> but all of that said, it's you, it's weird because you always have at least one character kind of pushing the boundaries of that bigotry like with the cindy storyline you get paula gross's character who's just the worst most milliquost character on the show he's like the only seemingly semi-decent person but he's also just also awful in a much more low-key way um but he's the one like pushing the boundaries of acceptability here but then has to retreat um uh he starts dating cindy uh listeners and then just can't get past the fact that she's trans um so i think that there's just a lot of stuff in which i really do legitimately think that kelly is trying to be progressive but he's trapped in the same kind of late 90s early aughts progressivism mm-hmm. that Allie herself is stuck in and can't find a way out of. And looking back at it now, you just, it's, for me, again, it's just really interesting to watch those tensions play out, down to the fact that Billy acknowledges the fact that he is all for women's lib, except in his own life. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Which is just such a really interesting, for a thing for a character to say out loud, and to really acknowledge, and then to try to go to a, male chauvinist pig support group about it which includes one of the lawyers that recurs on the show um and grapple with it and like is really open with georgia about the fact that this is how he feels and then he dies like um three episodes later from a brain tumor you didn't get to that episode um, oh I, but i read about it and i was like oh yay <laughs> yeah yeah it's but here's the thing about that episode it still slaps real hard and it almost makes you buy in because Gil Bellows is suddenly super dialed into the relationship between Billy and Allie mm-hmm. um, in a way that I'm just like, oh, I'm a little sad now. Not super sad because I'm glad Billy's gone because he sucks. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of how I was feeling. Did you have other episodes or performances that stood out to you while you were in the episodes you watched? Well, I think we need to talk a little bit about the cast because we have, uh-huh. you know, our issues with, uh, with Bellows, but like, while I, while I'm not a big fan of the show and overall, uh-huh. like I, I enjoyed my time watching it, but I would not want to watch all of it. Um, I was, I was just like, it's the kind of show that if I was watching, I would be yelling at my TV about, about yes. it. Um, but I did really appreciate the performances, and I think Flockhart's doing really good work trying to make Allie a person 
somewhat and sell and balance uh-huh. the comedy and the absurd and like you know it's a delicate balancing act i think she's doing a good job with it um but i think german is a great german is really good as fish uh it's delightful to see peter mcnichol play this kind of character and i feel like normally he doesn't get to play this type of character i say that but he was on the show for you know either the like one of the main characters or recurring for the last season but for the whole run so clearly he did I just hadn't seen the show. Um, Krakowski, Jane Krakowski is, uh, I didn't like that character either, but I really like her. Um, the And, uh, you know, Portia de Rossi is there for seasons two through five. Um, really enjoy her. It's like, oh, yay, she was, this is nice to see her on something else. Lucy Liu, always enjoy her. Like, like this cast is really good. And it's just such, a, I mean, we mentioned Robert Downey Jr. Of course, he. Uh, How dare you not mention Vonda Shepard? How dare you, ma'am? How dare you? Uh, yeah. Uh, what? So many quirks on the show, and that's one of them. But um, he joined the show in season four, and if you haven't seen it, he was introduced to be a love interest for Allie and to be the one, basically. Yes. And they were going to build to their wedding at the end of season four, and then uh, he had he had his you know was dealing with drug addiction and was busted and. Uh, and charged and so they rewrote the ending to have them of the season to have them break up instead of get married they were going to have the whole last season fifth season be about them as a married couple while they're doing all this uh-huh. other stuff right which i yeah. that would have been a fascinating season to see really interesting we wouldn't have gotten bon jovi <laughs> as the season five of interest but i'm much more interested in that version of the show because they did a really good job i thought even with some of like the like the oh the smarm isn't it charming inappropriate i'm gonna inappropriately talk about sex and it's gonna be like i'm gonna be an asshole and that's what's alluring like there's a bunch of bullshit around that but once they get around to making him an actual character he works so well with ali and like the, the the actors are really really good together and the characters make a lot of sense and push each other in interesting ways and and at that point we've gotten to know ali well enough that this you can see how this relationship is different. And so it's, it's just the, you know, the realities of what Danny Jr. was dealing with in his uh, off-screen life and his non-professional life and going to prison and all of that, right. That really influenced, of course, the end of the show, the last season of the show, but like there's an alt universe out there where there's a very different season five of Ally McBeal. And I would be, and I, I can, I can see myself watching gritting my teeth through the Cindy stuff to watch seasons four and five of this show. Um, And so that, you know, it really is, I think for the most part with a couple lowlights for me, a really good cast. And it's such a different experience watching this kind of show because they have like one, two, three, four, five, six. They've like, they've got 10 main cast members and they've got a lot of recurring, like at any given time, they've got a lot of different recurring people that come in and out. The guest cast is insane. Like everybody who pops up is someone like, you know, you had texted, keep an eye out for Ren- Renee Elise Goldsberry um, as one of the backup singers at the bar who she's like in 40 episodes. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a ridiculous, like everybody was on the show and, you know, I wasn't following it because I wasn't watching this, this show, but. You know, of course they were. It was a really popular show. It was a very high-profile show. Of course it, everybody was on it. But um, that element of it makes it really fun to, to see, like, who is the, the lawyer going to be? Who is the judge going to be? That kind of thing. And the combination of factors here of, like, the character types and some of the the situations and the willingness and interest in engaging with 
with topics of the time, um, I think makes it a very interesting parallel or contrast to with the good wife and the good wife is just much, much more my jam. Um, but, but it's, but there's definitely a lot of DNA I think shared between these two, these two very tonally different shows. Yeah. And the other thing that, um, I should mention about season four real quick, um, that you should, you should keep in mind if you ever go back to it is that Tay Diggs also recurs in the back half. Oh, wow. Nice. (laughs) Um, uh, and I think he was supposed to like come back all full time in season five and he ended up not, I think probably because of like the massive retool that they had to do for season five. Um, listeners, I only watched the premiere of season five and then stopped because I realized I did not like season five. <laughs> um, so yeah. And one of the other like really weird slash fun things about this show that I kind of want to like highlight real quick, cause you mentioned like the guest stars and the judges and everything is that a number of those judges also showed up on the practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a shared <laughs> um, universe. So, yeah. It's a shared universe. And they even have in the first season, a crossover with the practice um, that they have two. They had to convince. Yeah. That they had to convince the network was an okay idea to do the networks. I should say, because both the practice and Ally McBeal were produced by the same studio by 20th century Fox. Um, so they had to convince Fox and ABC to do this, but they also had to convince ABC to air the practice on Monday nights, even though it was their Sunday anchor. Like, it was their big draw on Sunday nights. Um, and punt their new episode to air after Ally McBeal, but on a different network. <laughs> um, and it was just, like, something that just wouldn't happen, like, today, let alone happen then. Mm-hmm. Um, even in this age of mass conglomeration where you can get everyone because everything's owned by the same people now. But just at this time, it was kind of difficult to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was always something that amused me because I, since I watched both of these shows was particularly with um, Judge Walsh played by Al- the great Albert Hall who would show up on both of these shows. And it's just like, wait, this makes no sense. This judge that's in civil court is now in criminal court. Um, But also get that money, man. Get that money. (laughs) Get that money. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, and it's such totally different shows as well. It's kind of ridiculous to see. I mean, it's fun. As As a viewer of television and an observer of, you know, these kinds of things, as like putting a critic hat on or just like a fan of procedurals uh, and legal yes. shows. It's fun to see, like, let's take two sets of characters in totally very different shows that are both law shows and see what happens when you cross them over. And the answer is the really serious guys are like, no, no, you people are weird. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you people are dark. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we deal with murder a lot. Um, did you look up what happens to the Donna Murphy character on the practice? No, I've, I'm... I meant to watch that episode, um, so don't tell me, because I'll okay. probably like circle around to it, because the practice is also on Hulu, which I found out as a result of watching Ally McBeal. <laughs> I just went, oh, I haven't watched the practice in so long. That means I can watch Michael Emerson again. A baby Michael Emerson. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that which, in this, which is really fun. Um, yeah, I won't say anything then. Uh, I will say that I called it, um, but yeah. uh, but it wasn't, I don't think it was that hard of a call, called it. Um but, yeah, again, like I was saying, Don Murphy, they bring Donna Murphy in to just get, like, 
three scenes maybe. Um, yeah. and the, and I'm sure I'm assuming she had more on the practice, but as the, the I would, yeah, the almost certainly given the premise, she definitely had more to do in the practice. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, I did actually like, despite my frustrations, I, I would not have kept watching it if we weren't doing it for the podcast, but Absolutely. I did, I did end up really enjoying a lot of what I was watching of a show that I didn't, that's not for me that I didn't really like. It's such a strange thing, you know, it was like, I, you know, like I wouldn't seek it out but since i'm going to if i'm going to watch it i'm going like yeah that's good that's funny that's well done i appreciate this i enjoy a show that puts you know a high premium on musical numbers and singing i let peter mcnichols musical number in the season four episode delightful fantastic um there's a lot to really enjoy uh about Ellen McBeal. and so it's just i'm in a weird place about it but i can see why people like it i see why people didn't like it and it's just hilarious to think back on like uh Ellie Bill's the death of feminism it's like you know that she's written almost exclusively by a dude right why are you letting a dude define what feminism is to you like what like really but hey there's a lot stupider and similar things that we're doing as a culture right now so goodness knows the cancel culture conversations that happen I mean, maybe I just got lucky with the episodes I watched, but a lot on Allie McBeal um, are still very much in the discourse, capital D, right now. So, yeah. Any final thoughts on the show? No, just weirdly dated and weirdly relevant is Allie McBeal, I feel yeah. like. Um, and also just like we didn't even talk about like all the fantasy sequences that they do throughout the show, um, like which was really weird at the time, mm-hmm. um, especially for a broadcast network show um, to do during primetime. Uh, just wild that they did all the weird stuff that they did. Um, to be fair, the practice was also that way, but in a very different sense of, <laughs> well, we're going to do a bunch of weird murder shit. <laughs> that's why the craziest girlfriend reference uh, or, or parallel is such an excellent one as well. Like there is a yeah. lot of that same, like you're saying, the through line of these two as well. Yeah, so I it's not available on Hulu. If you haven't watched any of Adam McBeal, because this is a show that didn't syndicate particularly well, um, and it also didn't do particularly well when they cut out all the serious stuff and made it into a half-hour sitcom <laughs> with all the funny bits that. and just called it Alley. Um, again, folks, broadcast television was weird, and I miss it being really weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> that... You should seek it out. I think it's worth watching a smattering of episodes across the show's run. Um, you can even watch like the premiere of uh, season five and get like a baby James Marsden. There you um, go. Like it's like it's like just after he played Cyclops on <laughs> X Men. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny that it, there really are like every episode. There's going to be somebody you recognize, yeah. and um, yeah, it's it's so interesting. It did make me not enough to actually go do it, but it did make me curious about a, a good wife rewatch and how like and a little trepidatious too. Like, is this going to hold up? Is this gonna, yeah. or is this the one that in twenty years I'm going to be like, oh, it's so dated? I'm I've been like my partner. I have stalled on Babylon Five um, because like. We've gone back and forth a lot of her watching what I've been watching for this segment of the mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, so we haven't like had like the space to watch Babylon 5 as much. Um, but I've been like, I've been really jonesing to do a good wife rewatch all the mm-hmm. way through. Because mm-hmm. um, I haven't done a full, I have, haven't never done a full rewatch. And I haven't done like a long rewatch since like 
season five started. I watched all four of the seasons right before season five kicked in, which was the correct choice to make. <laughs> um, but mainly, I just I want to watch it with my partner and get to hitting the fan. Oh to man, just <gasps> right. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, a few show notes here at the end of the podcast. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page over on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can uh, find our M4A chaptered feed and our MP3 unchaptered feed over on Apple Podcasts and we're also up in Stitcher. We'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And we are both on uh, Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel R.K. Thank you so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thanks, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 